Before we begin the class, um, just wanted to encourage everyone, both here, those that are listening to the class online, and on, um, on or on the CDs, to uh, join the special Shabbos. This week uh, has been designated by the Jewish people for to join in the keeping of the Shabbos by by thousands and thousands of Jews across the world. Um, what a beautiful unity and a great, great merit for the Jewish people, especially at difficult times like now. So this is uh, the Shabbos experience um, that has always protected the Jewish people. So it's great to participate in this. Uh, there will be, a, uh, I know, a great event Thursday night, a challah uh, where hundreds and hundreds of Jewish women will get together to bake challah. This is on 400 South La Brea. Um, I think it's, I forgot the name of the place, uh, but that would be something appropriate to everybody that can join and bring, bring people that haven't ever done the mitzvah. It's a special mitzvah Hashem has given particularly to women to be involved in. So that's a big, big, big thing. Another thing is... Um, I know on the Shabbos itself, the various different places in Los Angeles, we're, I know in Pico, they're having a huge, big Friday night meal and other events. So this is something to join in. And everybody still has time if you invite some people over to your house, particularly for this Shabbos, so that people can join in a Shabbos experience, especially people that had not yet had the fortune in their lives to keep Shabbos. So this is a, a unique opportunity. Um, tonight, the sponsors for tonight's class um, were um, the shear for the class itself, uh, Mr. Stuart Flate. He sponsored the shear in honor of his father's first yard site, which is going to be on this Shabbos, the 11th of Cheshvan, Pashas Lech Lecha. May um, his uh, neshama have a very great aliyah, to the greatest, greatest of heights. And may he channel lots of blessings down to you, Stuart, and to your family for all good. I'm sure this is a great merit for his soul, to elevate his soul, and souls in heaven are very appreciative when we look after them and send them some, send them some fuel from down here to elevate them. So may this be a big schus for the neshama. Also another dedication was by my niece and nephew, 
Shloimi and Gitti Brachfeld. And this is in honor of their new baby son, who just had his bris on Friday, Chanoch Elimelech. May you both raise him in good health and have much, much nachas from him. Yiddish nachas and chassidish nachas. And he should grow up to be a big scholar, a Talmud Chacham. You should raise him the title, the chuppah, the toivim, and nachas from him and nachas from all the other children. Mazel tov and mazel tov. And the dedication on the CD this week was by the Smolyansky family. And this is in honor of two grandparents, uh, a grandmother whose yard site is um, the seventh of Cheshvan, which is, I think, tonight. Fega Basra Moshe, this to be the Aliyah of Hernishama, and another grandfather whose yard site is going to be on, I think, the 13th, which is on Monday. And his name is Alexander Ben. I'm not sure. I, I forgot to write it down. So um, I'm sure the dedication it will be for his achus as well. Okay. Um, this week, as mentioned last week, we're living in very, very, very special times. And uh, we're supposed to live with the times, which means two things. We have to live with the Torah portion of the week, which means gain inspiration. At the same time, living with the times means the times as the world is advancing and things are happening, we're, we're supposed to recognize that, you know, we're supposed to tap into the energies, the unique energies that are happening. So, as mentioned last week, we are definitely at the threshold of the redemption, at the Giyula, the redemption of the Jewish people, which is ultimately the redemption of the entire world. Uh, all the tension and chaos and that's happening in the land of Israel is all pointing to this, especially since it's related to the Temple Mount, to the Beis Amikdash itself. Um, so, as we elaborated on that on, on this last week, um, for those who didn't listen, you can listen to last week's shir online. And um, so, but um, based on that theme, I'd like to continue this week's class to find the Mashiach element in Parshas Lech Lecha. What is the redemption in this week's Torah portion? So the beauty of Parshas Lech Lecha, which is where Hashem commands Avram Avinu and sends him on the journey, on the epic journey that was going to transform the world forever, foundation of the Jewish people. Um, so when Hashem speaks to Avram, so in general, the entire, this parsha, every verse is exploding with redemption. It, the Mashiach is so strong, it's so powerful in Parshas Lech Lecha. Beginning, so we don't have to look far, it's everywhere. And even in the name, Lech Lecha, the sages say that over here is hinted redemption. Because we know in the Aleph Beis, in the Hebrew alphabet, in the Aleph Beis, there are five letters of the Hebrew Aleph, Aleph Beis that are double. There's the Chaf, which we have a regular Chaf, and then we have the long Chaf, and we have the Mem that we spoke about last week, the two Mems, the open Mem and the closed Mem. We have a Pei, and we have a Tzaddik. So these are all double, double letters. Um, and Nun, we've got Nun. So these are the five letters that are, they're called Menatzbach. Five letters that are double, in which we use a different version of the, of the letter, of the same letter, when we put it at the end of a word. So the Medrash says that these letters 
This is a repirke de Rebbe Liezer, a, a statement by the great sage Rebbe Liezer, who says that whenever you have the double letters, this is in, indicative of redemption. Because this is the power of redemption. So, and Medr says, for example, Avram Avinu, he had our father Abraham, he had his redemption with the chaf, the double chaf. Lech lecha, two chafs. There's two lamas there too, but the lamad is the same. It's lech lecha, the two chafs. That's the power of the redemption because Avram Avinu had his redemption. What was the redemption of Avram? Avram was redeemed from being finite and limited and constricted as an ordinary human being. And Avram Avinu in this Torah portion makes contact with God himself, with the infinite. And he becomes a channel for the infinite. And that's the highest redemption imaginable. And he has given that an inheritance to all of his descendants. Uh, We have inherited from Avram the ability to do a mitzvah. And every time we do a mitzvah, our soul connects to the infinite, to the Ein Sof. And that's the ultimate liberation. So Chaf is redemption. Yitzchak had his redemption with the letter Mem. Yaakov had his redemption with the letter Nun, Hatzileini Na. The Jewish people in Egypt had their redemption with the letter Pei. As it says, Pakait Pakadati, that was the code that God gave them for the redemption. Pakait Pakadati, I remembered you, double Pei. And then the future redemption the one that's going to be happening in front of our eyes any moment is the redemption is referred to as tzemach tzamachti, a plant will sprout forth, which is Moshiach, who is called a tzemach, a, a sprouting tzaddik. So lech lecha, the very word lech lecha, is already the first redemption, the redemption of Avram Avinu. Now, um, but what I want to follow in this week, so there's so much to talk about redemption in this week's parsha. but what I want to follow is a very interesting story about a certain character that is an enigma. He appears right at the beginning of the parsha. He follows along with Avram Avinu for the first stories, the first moments of our history. He's very present in the stories of Avram Avinu as the Jewish people begin to germinate as a people. And then he disappears then he's not heard of again. But he's over here, he's this week in the parsha, and he will also appear next week in the Torah portion. And I'm sure you can figure it out. I'm talking by a fellow, about a fellow by the name of Lot. And this Lot is, what's the story about Lot? Lot, we find that he appears right at the beginning of, who's Lot? First I'll tell you who Lot is. Lot is Avram's nephew, Abraham's nephew. He's a son of Avram's brother. Avram had a brother, Haran. Haran was cast into the furnace. Nimrod, the king of the big rebellious king, the one who rebelled against God, turned the whole world against God. And was, when Avram came with his message of monotheism, he cast Avram into the furnace, into the fire. Avram miraculously survived. His brother Haran said he was waiting to see who was going to win. And when he saw that Avram came out unscathed by the fire, so then he volunteered, because Nimrod asked him, what do you believe in? And he said, I, I believe in the God of Abraham. And they threw him in the fire, and he didn't survive, and he died. So being that he perished, his son Lot, Avram was looking after his nephew. And this is Lot. Lot is also another, another way a relative to Avram. He's Sarah's brother. 
Because Avram marries his niece. Sarah, Sarah Emenu, the first matriarch of the Jewish people, is Avram's brother's daughter. And she is a sister of Lot. So now Lot is both Avram's nephew and also Avram's brother-in-law. So we find that in the beginning of the Parsha, it discusses that when Avram is told by God to leave Mesopotamia and to journey to the land of Israel, the Pasuk describes that this fellow Lot came along with him. And it's not just that it tells, there were a lot of people that came along with Avram. It says they took all, the, all, their, all their followers. Avram by that time had Abraham, Avram had many students. But Avram had taken along, but it specifically emphasizes two times that Lot went along with Avram. Then notice that. Why does the Torah speak so much about Lot? Then it says again, the Torah again, he appears, when Avram goes, there's a famine in the land, and Avram goes down to the land of Mitzrayim, because there's no food in the land of Israel, in the land, in the, in the land of Canaan, and he comes down to Egypt, he's there, Pharaoh takes um, Sarah, his wife, um, away from him, uh, the miracles happen, God protects Sarah, she comes out, Paro goes and he sends Avram back to the land of Israel. When, ya- when Avram comes back, it says that Avram is coming back a wealthy man because he took all the possessions. He, pa- Paro gave him a lot of gifts to appease him. So Avram is now a millionaire. He's coming back. And the Pasuk emphasized that also Lot, who was wa- going with Avram, he also was loaded with cattle and with wealth. And God rewarded him for whatever reason. So again, the Torah speaks about Lot. Then it says immediately when they come back into the land, now for the second time, after they temporarily left because of the famine, it says there is an argument and a fight, a quarrel that broke out between the shepherds of Avram and the shepherds of Lot. And the Torah says that Avram then doesn't want this to continue and the fight to get worse. So he tells his nephew, brother-in-law, nephew, please, I think we should separate. You go wherever you go, I'll go wherever I go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And they separate. Avram goes, travels towards Hebron, I think. And Lot um, makes his way to Sodom. Sodom, the notorious city full of evil and immorality. Later, in the next week's Torah portion, Sodom is going to be destroyed. Well, Lot went down to live in the city of Sodom. Okay. The next story the Torah tells us is that there is a great war that happens. According to the Medrash, this is the first major war. Four big kings are coming to fight against the five kings. A World War I, okay, the first world war. And um, there's a big war, and Sodom is defeated. And the armies come and take captives. And in the captivity, the Pasuk says they took Lot. They took all the wealth of stone, including Lot, and they ran off with him. Avram hears about this. The great giant O comes to tell him about the, his nephew being taken in captivity. So Avram hears and he calls him over the, his brother. He hears his brother is in trouble. So Avram, in the most unbelievable, doesn't make any sense what he did. He goes chasing after these big military that's marching to victory. And he comes chasing after them with who? Either with 318 people, or according to the sages say that 318 is not really 318 of his of his people, but it's only one, his student Eliezer, whose name, the numeric value of his name is 318. So you have Avram, who's about 90 years old now, uh, this time he's about 75 years old, together with his student Eliezer, chasing after an army of a million people. And he goes to war. And guess what? He wins the war. 
Miraculous. That the sages tell us all about the miracles that happen. He wins the war, so, but he really laid his life on the line to save his brother-in-law, to save his nephew. Because, you know, had the miracle not happened, he would have been gone in a minute. He goes and he saves Lot. Okay? And he comes, he brings back all the, 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 all the wealth of Sodom together with Lot. That's the story we have about Lot in this week's Torah portion. The narration of Lot continues next week. It was later, after Avram has his circumcision, about 20 years later, 25 years later, um, the people of Sodom continue to be corrupt and worse and worse and worse. And then God sends the three angels to visit Avram Avinu after his circumcision. After they pay a visit to him and bring healing to him, they leave and two of them at least go to Sodom and they're going to destroy Sodom and Amorah for their sins. And the Torah speaks about how Lot narrowly escapes. One of them, the, the angels rescue him. Him and his wife, his wife turns into a, a, a block of salt and Lot with his two daughters are saved. They think the whole world is destroyed, they go into a cave. Lot has relations with his daughters and two, and each one of them becomes pregnant and they give birth. One of them gives birth to a son and she calls him Mohav. And the other one gives birth to a son and she calls him Ammon. So this is, and they become the father of two big nations called Ammon and Moab. Now these two nations, Ammon and Moab, were terrible, terrible neighbors to the Jewish people. They're big troublemakers. They were always engaged in terrorist attacks against the Jewish people way back then. They're not one of these big evil empires that destroyed the temple like the Babylonians and the Romans. But quietly, they had their own share of trouble. It's called, actually, we refer to them in the Talmud, bad neighbors, terrible neighbors. You know the neighbor that just is the most annoying person that doesn't leave you every time, makes you crazy? That's the neighbor. Amon and Moyav, they were really, really problematic. And that's it. Then we're done with Lot. The Torah doesn't tell us anything more about Lot, the whole story. But it's really strange that, like, right at the birth of the Jewish history, we have this character Lot that is described in and out and in and out back. And as he comes along with Avram Avinu for the first beginning of the Jewish journey. So there must be a great secret over here and a great mystery about Lot. So the Zohar tells us, and the Zohar says like this, when it describes the, um, when Avram left, when it says that he took Lot, is because Lot had incredible potential in him. Not just potential. Lot was carrying within himself the most powerful soul ever. It was embedded in Lot. Lot was not a good guy. But inside, embedded in that evil, or in that impure being, was a very, very, very powerful neshama. And that is the soul of King David, who ultimately will be the grandfather of Moshiach, the, the ultimate redeemer of all of humanity and all of the world. So the Zohar says, these are the words, the Zohar says, Vayikach Avram Sarah Ishtai, that Avram took his wife Sarah. So first the Zohar says a statement like this, Mai Vayikach, what does it mean he took his wife? So the Zohar says an amazing lesson. All the men should listen. It says, Begin the lace later, Shus Barnash, a man has no permission, Laafke Itse, to take his wife from a place that she's comfortable in, Lemach Ba'ara Achra, to go move to a different place, Beloy Reusadala, without her wishing, without her want. It doesn't even make a difference if God commands you. 
You see? God told Avram, go on a mission. And had Avram not gotten consent from his wife, he would not be allowed to go. He has to get his wife to consent. It's very important that a woman lives in a place that she is happy. And that is the Zohar says. That's why Avram, Vayikach means he persuaded her. He persuaded her that she should want to come along. Then it continues. Ve'eslot ben Achiv, he took Lot. Ma'chama Avram, what did Avram see? Ledafke imel Lot, to cleave to this, to this guy, to this fellow Lot. Why is he taking Lot? Elo begin the tzafa beruach hakodesh. Avram had a prophetic vision. Dezamen lemepik menei David. Avram Avinu saw that King David, David HaMelech, is going to come out of Lot. That's why, right at the beginning of Jewish history, as soon as we begin to take our first step as the Jewish people that are here to elevate, to rectify, to bring the entire world to its ultimate perfection, as soon as we begin our journey, we right away have in our mind the ultimate goal. We're seeing the very end, which means a very important thing. We're not allowed to forget about Mashiach for one moment. That has to be in front of our eyes all the time. And at the very, very beginning, we're talking about three and a half thousand years until Mashiach is going to come. Whether Avram knew that or not, but it was three and a half thousand years about but, that until Mashiach is coming. And yet in the first story of the Jewish people, before Avram makes his first move as a Jew, he's already concerned about Mashiach. And he's looking for the soul of Mashiach. He needs Mashiach to stand side by side with him. So that's why he takes Lot with him. Now the sages tell us that, um, why is it Avram? So let's understand something. What's this great soul? So let's understand how, how is Mashiach's, how is Mashiach, how is Lot the grandfather of Mashiach? So I mentioned earlier that Lot had relations with his two daughters. Um, they gave birth, Ammon and Moab. Now, from the Moabite, from Moab, which the whole nation of the Moabites come from, and Ammon, there were two converts, two women who converted later in history, a couple of hundred years later. The first one was Rus, Ruth. Um, she con- she's, a, she's a princess from Moab. She converts to Judaism, and she marries a man by the name of Boaz, who was a descendant of Yehuda, who was the leader of the Jewish people. And from them comes the lineage of Mashiach. I'm sorry, of King David. A few generations later, David HaMelech is born. So who is the great-great-grandmother of King David is Rus. And it seems very, very clear that without Rus, uh, there would not be, without Ruth, there would not be King David. The power of King David is all coming from his grandmother, who is coming from this illegitimate relationship between between Lot and his daughters. And so obviously that soul is in, is in Lot. Now there's another, another, another connection. The second son, whose name is Amon, his great-great-granddaughter is called Nama. She marries King Solomon. Shlomo Amalek had a thousand wives. But the most important wife of his was this woman, Nama, and she was an, also a convert. She was the mother of his son who took over the throne, Rechavam, the son of Shlomo, who was the next king. From them 
comes, the great kings of King David, even very, very great tzaddik, and not all of them were righteous people. But we have Chizkiyahu HaMelech and the like, and ultimately Mashiach is also a descendant from her. So here we have two of these pristine souls, these are converts, who are, who are going to join the Jewish people at a later point of history. Now it's interesting that Avram is the one who really is in charge of converts. Because we know that it's the power of Avram Avinu, whose his light reaches out to draw like a magnetic pull anybody that's destined to convert to the Jewish people. Special souls that are scattered amongst the Gentiles, that are drawn to the Jewish people, the real power of the draw is Avram, like we find in the end of the, this week's Torah portion, when Avram has his circumcision, God changes his names from Avram to Avraham. And the difference between the two is Avram means you're a father for Aram, which means you would be a father only for the Jewish people. But now that he's called Avraham, the Pasuk, the verse says, God says, Av Hamoin Goyim, I have made you a father of multitudes of nations. And the Kabbalists explain that once Avram had his circumcision, his power and his light was increased a millionfold. It enabled his channeling of light into the world to be so powerful and to be so attractive that it goes at a very great distance and it wakes up potential souls and those souls cleave to the Jewish people. That's why when anybody ever converts, what their name, they're called the child of Avram and Sarah. Right? The name of every convert is whatever the name is, Ben or Abbas, Avram. Because Avram is the father of all Gerim. So we can understand that these powerful souls of Mashiach, of Ruth and Naamon, which are going to be the mother, the grandmothers of King David and Mashiach. So Avram is in charge to make sure that he redeems these souls. Now let's for one moment understand what are these souls doing in the first place in, in the unholy. So here's a very, very important Kabbalistic concept, um, which is something that we really can't move anywhere in, in, Ju- in understanding Judaism and understanding the world without this idea. And that is that there is a concept in Kabbalah that talks about a shattering of the vessels, a primordial collapse that happened before the worlds as we know it were created. And in that shattering of the vessels, which was all intentional because God wanted to create the world the way it is now, a struggle between light and darkness. And as we work things out until we come to the ultimate purification. So in that collapse, there were many levels in the collapse. Energies of holiness fell into the unholy, to the realm of the unholy. And it is explained, it's energies of creation, it's angels, and also souls. And a lot of souls, and very, very powerful souls. The highest, deepest souls fell in, were originally, originally in the clutches of the unholy, in the forces of impurity. Take, for instance, Avram himself. Avram himself was born not just to ordinary parents. He was born to a pagan father. Okay, but everybody was pagan, so he didn't really have much choice. No, but Avram wasn't just by a regular pagan. He was born by the manufacturer of all idols. His father was like the salesman, the ultimate chief salesman of idols. So you're talking about extreme fanatic pagan was Terach, Avram's father. And the Arizals goes so far to say, shocking statement, 
that Avram was born from a relationship, and Terach had relations with his wife during her menstruation, during her period, which is another forbidden act. All of that to emphasize how impure it was where Avram was coming from. There's a Pasuk that says, Mi yitain tahar mitame. Who has given that purity should come from defilement? And that is Avram Avinu. And Medr says that that's referring to Avram because he comes from a place that is so dark, from such a darkness, and from there is extracted this powerful soul. So why it is that way that the highest neshamas and souls are dafka in the uh, 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 are precisely in the unholy and they need to be extracted and elevated is a discussion for another time. But that's just the way it is. So therefore, since Avram himself is a neshama that was rescued from the other side, therefore uh, he's very conscious of this and very aware of this that there is work to do and there are souls that need to be elevated. So now. But why? So here's an interesting thing. The, Met, the Gemara tells us that um, when God blesses Avram immediately at the beginning of Lech Lecha, he says, I will bless you if you listen to me and you go on this journey. I will bless you. And he says to him, here are these, um, the blessing that Hashem says to Avram, open it up over here. Um, he blesses him with a bunch of blessings. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. They will be all the families of the earth will bless themselves with you. In other words, when people, as Rashi explains, it means when people want to give their children a blessing, they will say, you should be like Abraham, or you should be like the Jewish people. Because ultimately, the honor of the Jewish people, the honor people will come to recognize and understand, so people will say that this is the ultimate blessed people. So the Gemara in Mesechtis Yevamis, the Talmud says, in Tractate Yevamis, very interesting statement, on the words, v'nivrechu b'cha, they will be blessed in you, the Talmud says, Rabbi Lazar says, My what does it mean when it says, they will bless in you, so the Talmud takes the word, which means simply, it means blessing, the Talmud plays on the word, and it says, that in addition to blessing, it also means, they will be grafted in you, they will be grafted in you, what does that mean? God says to Abraham, to Avram, I have two shoots, two plants, two shoots, two, that I want to graft, I want to graft these shoots into you. It's like when you graft a tree, you take another plant, and somehow you embed it in the tree, and that is supposed to enhance the growth of the tree because it's receiving extra empowerment from these plants. Both the tree is empowering the plants that are being poured into it and it and those extra shoots are giving extra power to the tree. And that's the idea of grafting. So the words v'nivrechu, which means they will bless, also means they will be grafted. From the Talmud always uses the term hamavreches agefen, when one grafts a vineyard. Okay, uses the word hamavrech. 
Because, so the, the, the nivrichu means, and these are the two shoots. Who are the two shoots that I'm going to graft into the Jewish people? Ruth, Hamovia, Ruth, the Moabite, the Nama Amonis. And Nama, the Amonis, the one who married Shlomo Melech, these are the two shoots that I want to graft into the Jewish people. So, again, so what do we see from here? That there was a very, very, this is, this is essential, that the Jewish people should draw from the nations. And Avram Avinu needs to draw, especially these neshamas, which are the souls of Mashiach, and it has to come some reason, it has to come from the Gentile world. And you wonder, you say, what in the world? Why does Mashiach, the ultimate holiest of souls, the greatest of the great, why does Mashiach's neshama need to be, because when you say grafting, it means that, as I mentioned earlier, that the shoots that are being brought in are actually bringing power to the tree that the tree doesn't have on its own. It's getting the power from the... Which would mean that the Jewish people don't have on their own the power for the redemption. And they need to receive it somehow from the Gentile nations. And from the Moabite, out of all nations. From Ammon and from Moab. So the great Maharal of Prague, um, great, great philosopher, thinker, and mystic as well. So the great and holy Maharal gives it fascinating explanation in his book Netzach Yisrael in chapter 32 the Maral says something really really interesting he says that um, the idea of grafting is that you want to bring something in as mentioned earlier that is not yet in the tree the tree has its own potential has its own power but then you want to bring something in that's not there before he says Moshiach is going to come to the world to introduce new light, new power, things that were totally out of our reach. Mashiach is totally out of the box. Something radically new. And because of that, you can't draw that from what is. In order to create, as he says, a Havaya Chadasha, something totally new, so we need to go outside of what is to bring in new power. So you, okay, so now the morale doesn't say this explanation that I'm going to say right now. I'm just adding this to what he is saying based on what the Arizal teaches, the great Kabbalist Rabbi Yitzchak Lurier, the Arizal, that we know that all souls, all neshamas, were included in Adam Arishon's neshama. Adam, the first human being, contained with his within his neshama, within his soul, all future souls, all contained in his neshama. Now, simply, all humanity comes from him. All Jewish neshamas, all part of his soul as well. Now, however, when Mashiach will come, the Arizal says that, the, that at, after the coming of Mashiach, new souls called neshamas chadashes, new neshamas will enter the universe that have never been here before. And when we say new souls, we don't mean souls that are, have never been in incarnation. Like we generally know that most of our souls today are all reincarnated. When we say new neshamas, we mean souls that were not part of Adam's soul. They're not included in him. Something totally new. And the spiritual capacity of those souls are going to far surpass the neshamas, the capacity of the souls that are here in the world right now. What's going to happen with those neshamas? First of all, these are going to be the new world population that is going to be born after Mashiach. They're going to have a radiance. They're going to have a light. 
that's just going to be beyond, beyond. Their wisdom, their knowledge, their enlightenment is going to be incredible. But more than that, it says that those souls will be attached to our souls, and they will up, like when you have a computer and it's missing RAM, and you can add RAM or add more power. Though, when it says when Mashiach comes that we will have crowns on our head, Arizal says it means these souls will be crowning our souls, giving us abilities, capabilities that we don't have. So this is, could be what the morale means when he says that there is going to be new light in the world. Mashiach is part of this. Now it's interesting. Adam, and we're going to mention this many times in tonight's class, the name Adam, which is Adam, the first name, is an acronym. It's made up of four, three letters. Aleph, Dalid, Mem. So Aleph, Dalid, Mem is Rashi Tevis. Each word is an acronym for Aleph stands for Adam. Dalid stands for David, which is King David, and the Mem stands for Mashiach, which means that when God creates Adam, what he's really creating is the ultimate human being. He's, he, he makes, he's here in the world right on the first day, right at the beginning of the creation, the handiwork of God. He appears again in the middle of history as King David, kind of as like the pillar for the world to continue. And finally, he reaches his full potential and his full power when Mashiach comes. So according to this understanding, Mashiach is the full realization and the full empowerment of Adam. And here we're saying that Mashiach is something new. A new soul that is not even included in Adam's neshama. So how does it work? So what occurred to me is, we do know, which it says, that Adam, even though Mashiach is part of Adam, but there's a very big difference in the pronunciation of the word. Adam is called Adam today. But when Mashiach comes, the name Adam is going to be rearranged. And the word is going to become Me'od. Same letters, but in a different order. Adam, and you rearrange the letters, you get the word Tov, not Tov, but Me'od. Me'od means very much. That means Adam, as great as he was, had some limitation in his capacity to experience the divine. It was a limit. But when Mashiach comes through the struggle, through our struggles, each and every one of us, as we go through, as humanity struggles its way through, through, trudges its way through the trenches of challenge after challenge, we're all part of Adam's soul. And we work it out and we make it safely to the other end. Then we achieve something so much greater, we break out of all limitations and of all boundaries. And instead of being Adam, we become Ma'od. Ma'od means very much. Which really means infinite, boundless, and endless. So that's Moshiach. So what do we see from here? That even as Moshiach is the very, very peak of Adam, it's something new. It's not what was there before. Because now it's not Adam, now it's Ma'od. Therefore, since Moshiach is a new light, a new power, it could not come from the holiness of Adam, which was later tr- translated into the Jewish people, into Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Because that has, that is what it is. In order to bring something totally new, we have to go outside of the box. We have to go outside of the Jewish people and get something from the outside. So even though technically we're going to something that is lower or darker, we're going into the klipa, into the unholy. But yet the main idea is we need to get, we need to introduce something from the outside. How far do we have to go? Well, depending how radical Mashiach is. 
since Mashiach is going to be such radical change and such transformation and such powerful light, so how far do we need to go in order to find the right shoot to graft into the tree? We have to go to something that's so far, so distant. That's why we go to Ammon and Moab. Ammon and Moab are the darkest klipa, the darkest shells that are concealing God is Ammon and Moab. How do we know that? We know that from all nations in the world, we accept converts. The only nation in the world that even though they could convert, but after they convert into the Jewish people, they may not marry into the Jewish people. That means if they, if, if they convert, that's okay, they can convert and be Jews and accept all the mitzvahs and we have to treat them with love and respect. But when someone of a descendant of Ammon and Moab wants to marry either a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, it is a forbidden marriage. For how many generations? Even forever. Even 30, 50, 90, 100. We don't know today who's who, so it doesn't really, in actuality, it, it, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. But in conceptually, any descendant of, of Ammon and Moab, besides, it's only the men, not the women. That's why the Jew, the Jew, it doesn't say so explicitly in the Torah, he did the rabbis to learn it. That's why there was a whole question on Ruth. When Ruth, Ruth married um, 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 Boaz and they had a chun, the, the, there was a whole challenge to King David's legitimacy. Even if people were saying that he's not even a legitimate Jew because he's married from a, he came from a marriage, from a union that was forbidden. Until the Sanhedrin sat and they handed down a verdict, derived it from the verse in the Torah, that it's only a man from the descendants of Moab, not a woman from the descendants of Moab. Uh, a woman, a, a, Moab, a, a Moabite woman and an Ammonite girl, if they convert, is allowed to marry a Jew. But what do you see from here? That Ammon and Moab are the most extreme. They're the biggest outsiders possible. That's why the Maral says that when we're going to graft and create new light and new energy in the world and a new, a new existence, we have to go to the farthest possible, which is Ammon and Moab. And from there, the Nishama, the, 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 this, this radical newness is going to come to the world and, and empower the coming of Mashiach. Now, um, just why Lot? Why out of all people did this spark embedded in Lot? So the Safas Emes, the great Hasidic master, says something really, really touching. He says, why does Lot merit to carry this spectacular soul? Again, from him to his daughters, from his daughters into the Ammon and Moab, and finally they make their way back later to the Jewish people. Why Lot? So he says, let's take a look. Who's Lot's father? Lot's father is Avram's brother, Haran. Now, Haran died for the sanctification of God's name. Avram went into the fire and he didn't die. God saved him. Haran didn't have the best of intentions. Because he went in thinking, not with pure of motive that he's willing to sacrifice his life, he went in thinking, well, if my, bro- if my brother came out alive, I'll also come. I want to be on the winning team. Whichever team wins, I'm willing to go with it. So in the end, it was a, a, a detrimental mistake. So um, Haran is never applauded by the Jewish people as a hero. But God never lets a good deed not be rewarded. And this wasn't just a regular good deed. He's the first human being to actually die for God's name. So as a reward for that, his son, Lot, is the one who carries 
Mashiach's neshama merits for Mashiach to come through his son because of this Mesiris Nefesh of Haran. In any case, Lot has this great, great soul. Now the Shalah HaKadosh, Reb, um, Yitzchak Horowitz, Yitzchak Horowitz? Reb Yishaya Horowitz, I'm sorry. Reb Yishaya Horowitz, the great Kabbalist, says, okay, so now Lot contains Mashiach's neshama, the soul of, of Mashiach, the soul of King David. It's an incredible neshama. But at this point, as we said earlier, Lot is not a good guy. The, the Kedusha, the holiness, is buried in him. Buried, buried deep inside of him. But, he, but, but he's not... Take the name Lot. Lot actually in Aramaic means a curse. Latusa. Avram is blessed. You're the blessed one. And Lot is a curse. But on the other hand... That's because inside the curse, as we said earlier, inside the shell, inside the klipa, is buried the deepest spark. But on the other hand, the gematria, he says, of the word lot, the numeric value of the word lot, is 45. Lot is lamed, and tes is 39, plus vav is 6, it's 45. 45 is the gematria, the same numeric value as adam. And we said earlier that Adam is Mashiach. Adam is Aleph, Dalet, Mem, 45. That means Lot has Mashiach inside of him. He has the, in his genes, he has Mashiach. He is now a Klippa. In the words of the, of the, of the, of the, of the Shalach Kaddish, as he is right now, compared to Avram, he's like a monkey before a person. Next to the, against to Avram Avinu. He's not in a, in a, in a rectified state. But there is something very, very powerful in him. Loit gematria Adam, and Avram sees that. That's why Avram Avinu knows that he has to take along with him Lot. Even though at this point, who he is, who he is. So now let's take a look at the first verse. Or not, not the first verse, but when it says in the beginning of the parasha, that Avram took with him Lot, it says, Vayelach Avram kashadibar elav Hashem, Vayelach itay Lot, and Lot went with him. So the great Chernobyl Rebbe, Reb Nochem of Chernobyl, Asks a simple question. It's a fascinating thing. In the beginning of the parsha, when Hashem speaks to Avram, it says, Vayomer Hashem el Avram, that God says to Avram, Lech lecha, travel. from your father's house. Then when Avram goes, it says that Avram went, like God spoke to him, Vayelach itolot. But it says, Kashediber elav Hashem, like Hashem spoke to him. In Hebrew, there are two words that are used for speech. One of them is called Amira, and the other one is called Dibur. Like we know, when God spoke, created the world, the sages say, Ba'asara Mamoros, with ten utterances, God created the world. It uses the word Vayomer, Vayomer Elohim. However, in, in, um, in, but the, the commandments are called Aseres Hadibros, the Ten Commandments. So you see there is Vayomer and Vayedaber. Here the Torah switches. At the beginning it says, Vayomer Hashem al-Avram, that God says to Avram, Lech Lecha go. When Avram heeds the command of God and he goes, it says, Vayelech Avram, Kashediber Elav Hashem, like Hashem spoke to him. Why the switch from Vayomer to Diber? Why the switch? 
So he says something really, really, and he says it. The reason why Avram is, the, why the Torah switches is because Lot, is not because of Avram, but because he's taking Lot with him. That's why the next words are, why? He says the difference between Amira and Dibur is, that Amira is when a person can be thought as well. Doesn't mean actual um, ver- verbal words. Amira can also mean when someone is saying something in their thoughts. Like there is a pasuk that says, Imru bilvavchem mishkavchem, Say it in your heart. So Amira is like when someone is laying in bed and they're talking to themselves in their mind. That can be called Amira. Words in your, that, you're, that you're in your mind. Spoken words, that's called Ledaber. Ledaber means to communicate, to say words, to articulate it in speech. Avram Avinu, our holy grandfather Avram, was such a tzaddik, such a great, powerful human being. He was so tuned into God that he doesn't need God to communicate with him through speech. As soon as God wants something to happen, Avram senses that desire and Avram would be willing to do everything. Not only that, naturally his body does what God wants, as we know that the sages are called the vehicle. The chariot to God. They're so plugged in. They're so tuned in to the divine that whatever God is, whatever God desires and wants almost happens automatically. That's why we know that during the Akedah, during this, when Avram took Yitzchak, the binding of Yitzchak, it says, the binding of Isaac, it says that Avram is standing there and he takes the knife. And we mentioned this a few times. It says, Vayishlach Avram es Yodo, that Avram stretches out his hand to take the knife. Now we know that Avram was... As much as, as much as how difficult we can imagine that this was to him, that he has to offer his one and only son as a sacrifice to God, which was unbelievable. But Avram's joy of fulfilling God's will far went beyond everything else. But yet it says that Avram stretched out his hand. So in, in, implying that his hand didn't want to listen. And the answer for that is because Avram's body was so holy and so tuned in, so synchronized with the divine... That since God never wanted, it was only a test, God didn't want him to take the knife. He wanted him to bring him on this. Till this point was God's will. From this point of honor, taking the knife and putting it to the neck, God never want, didn't want that. Avram's mind thought that that was God wants, but his body was rebelling against his mind. So his body didn't want to because subconsciously he knew that that's not God's will and the body didn't want to go. So Avram was pushing his hand forcefully to take the knife. So therefore, Avram Avinu is so tuned into God, he would be able to go when Hashem is just thinking in his thoughts that he wants something, Avram is going, it says in the Gemara, the Talmud says, Eza Isha Kashera, what's considered a kosher woman, a, a noble woman, Ha'isa Ritzayin Bailo, who does the will of her husband. And in, in a deeper understanding of that is, she's so connected to him, they're so bonded together, it's such a deep marriage, that he doesn't have to tell her what he would like, without him communicating it, just she senses his, his will without it even being said. Ultimately, we're talking about the wife of God. Who's the wife of God? The Jewish people. The patriarchs and the matriarchs, for sure, were the wife of Hashem. So they sensed God's will without it having to be spoken. So Avram would have gone by Hashem. Hashem speaks to him without words. He just senses God's will. Good. Avram Avinu was really to go. The problem is he has his nephew Lot. 
It's not enough that he should go. Avram has to bring along with him his, his Lot. Lot is not so sensitive. The spirituality of Lot is not sensitive enough to be able to respond to God's will that is not verbalized and not articulated. So Avram has to wait in order to inspire his nephew Lot. So therefore, what does Avram have to do? Vayelech, he waits, kashediber elav Hashem. Hashem has to speak it. Especially, let's understand, who is Lot the father of? Lot is the father of King David. King David is the final attribute of the ten attributes. What's the, ten, the tenth attribute? It's called Malchus, the Shekhinah. And as we spoke last week, what's Shekhinah? Shekhinah is the attribute of speech, of divine speech. That means that, here's the thing, King David, Mashiach, it's not only, the coming of Mashiach is not only for tzaddikim, for great and saintly people. The coming of Mashiach is for the entire world. And the coming of Mashiach is to establish God's sovereignty in this world. That God is the master and the ruler of the whole world. As a king, a king doesn't relate to his subjects in thought. A king has to speak. So that's why King David, he's the mouth of Hashem. He's the word of God. That's why he's the one who creates for us the book of Tehillim, which is all the praises in which we praise. It's, it's the holy words. King David is all about the words. Now since Avram on his own is very mystical, very, by the way, the name Avram is consistent with what it says in Hasidus in general. The name Avram means Avram, put together from two words, exalted father which Kabbalistically, it says, is referring to the, the we know that the, 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 the Chachmah, the first of the ten attributes is called Father. Avram's Neshama is plugged into the highest level of divine wisdom. So he on his own, Avram is the first of the ten attributes, he's so sensitive to God's will, of course he doesn't need God to speak it. But that's not the intention, it's not enough, let's remember this, it's not enough that very sensitive souls are tuning into spirituality and to holiness. The ultimate desire is Vahoya Hashem Lamelech, that God be a king, Al Kola Oretz, on the entire earth, which means for that we need God to speak loud and clear, crystal words, Viro Kolbasar, and all of man should see Kipi Hashem Diber, that the word of God has spoken, and that comes through King David, and that comes through Mashiach. That's why the energy cannot communicate just on a level of Amira, of speech, and it has to come down all the way down, Vayerech Avram, and Avram went, Avram waited until that energy descended, to God's words descended from the higher spheres where only a sensitive soul can tap into them, until it came down and manifested into words that anybody can hear, and then he went, and what does the verse say? Vayelech ito lot, and lot went with him, because it's only on this level of speech that he can pick up Lot's neshama and take it along with him. Now here's another very interesting idea. So this inspired Lot to come along with Avram on a level of neshama, of soul. But there's another aspect in Lot coming, which I saw somewhere else in the book of the Imre Noam. Imre Noam is a great Hasidic master, the Jik of Rebbe, Mayor Horowitz, he was a grandson of the Holy Rapshitzer Rebbe. So he asks the question, he says, Avram went. Avram went because he's Avram Avino. We know this was a very, very big test. Travel in those days was very difficult, very hard. You see that Hashem has to promise Avram all kinds of promises. 
But what's inspiring Lot to go? And Lot goes along. So he says something really important. And he says that even though we know that God generally runs the world with free will, that he lets us have free will, at crucial moments in history, when God really, really needs to get something done, he bypasses free will. And there are things that happen in the world just because Hashem makes it happen without the consent of the human being that is being operated through. For example, the example that he gives is the Haman. Haman, Haman, by the, by the story of Purim, when he's busted, when Esther points to him and says, he is the wicked man that wants to destroy my people. So it says Ahasuerus gets up in a wrath and he goes out of the room and he's all angry. He comes back into the room and it says, Haman is falling on the bed, on the couch where Esther was sitting, Queen Esther was sitting. So it looked like he's lunging at her. Now the sages say that what happened really was that an angel came and shoved him. And the king gets all angry, he says, is it, do you want to conquer the queen together with me in my house? And then he ha- has him hung on the tree. So you see that when things are needed, angels get involved and do a, give a push. So over here, the story is like this. Mashiach's neshama has to come into the world. Now we're not going to sit there and wait till Lot is going to figure out a calculation why it's worth it for him to go or not. This is not, we're not going to depend on Lot. Because Lot has to come, because what's going to happen? When Lot is going to come with Avram, what's going to happen in the end? He's going to go down to Egypt, he's going to come up with him, he's going to be very wealthy, they're going to have a quarrel. Him and, him and Avram are going to have a quarrel, they're going to separate, Lot is going to go live in Sodom, Sodom is going to get turned over, Lot is going to barely escape with his life, with his daughters, he's going to go into the cave, and Mashiach's Nesham is going to be born. This must happen. And since this must happen, Lot went along with him, he had no idea why he's going. Something was pushing him. And he had no idea why he's going. And therefore he says an interesting thing. There is a Pasuk that says, Hashem ish, gam yashlem itay. When God desires the ways of a man, when God approves the ways of a man, even his enemies make peace with him. So what does this verse mean? He says, when God desires the ways of man, is referring to Avram Avinu, when he was going on the ultimate desirable journey, Lech Lecha, this is the one journey that God desires more than any other journey, that Avram should go to the promised land. So when Avram is beginning to, tra- to go on that journey, Gam Oivav, also his enemies, referring to the Klippa, Lot, who Lot means curse. He's a total antithesis to Avram, who is the blessing. So Gam Oivav, even the blessing is, even the curse is converted to a blessing, which means Lot joins along with him and comes along with him, whether he. By hook and by crook, whether he wants or he doesn't, he's going along with Avram Avinu because he needs to go. Okay, now let's continue in the parish. They come and they go down to Egypt. They come out of Egypt and the Torah tells us how Lot is very wealthy. And because of his wealth, he lives together with Avram in the land and they get into a little fight. What's wrong? What happens is that Lot has a lot of he has his animals, and Avram has a lot of animals, and Avram sends his animals out to graze only in land that doesn't belong to anybody. He sends them out to the desert, to places that don't belong to anybody. But Lot lets his sheep graze in fields that do belong to, the, to people. And he makes a claim, and he says, the reason why I'm allowed to do that is because Avram is, was promised the land, and Avram doesn't have any children. So who's, he, who, when Avram, who's Avram's heir? That's me. So I'm going to take over Avram's... So therefore, really, the land belongs to me. 
the land belongs to me, then I can have my animals eat the, eat the, eat the shepherd and the, graze the land. And Avram said, that's stealing. So they had this little fight, and then Avram tells him to depart. It's interesting, why is it at this moment? And it says an amazing thing. It says that God says to Avram Avinu, God says to Avram, after the Pasuk says later, that after Lot separated from him, Hashem spoke to Avram, and he told him, to your children I will give this land. And he, gives him, he tells him, raise your eyes and see wherever you can see. To you I will give your children. The verse emphasizes that after Lot went away from him, that's when God gave Avraham, spoke to him, spoke to him. So Rashi says the reason why it says that after he spoke to him, because as long as the wicked person was with him, God didn't want to speak to him. But as soon as Lot went away, God spoke to him. So it's very strange because earlier in the parasha, Hashem is speaking to Avraham even when Lot is with him. So it seems to imply that Lot became wicked only when Avram came out of Mitzrayim. That's when Lot became a wicked person. Before that he wasn't wicked. Which is really interesting. Why would that be? You would think that when Avram went down to Egypt, God made very big miracles. God protected Avram. Sarah was protected from Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the mightiest ruler in the world. And yet he could not touch her. Why? Because the angel came down and protected her. Right? So the great miracles that happened and that Paro had to, had, to, had to give a fortune to Avram to appease him, these great miracles happened. And Lot was rewarded as well that he got the wealth when he came out. Why is it that at exactly at this point Lot turns sour and becomes wicked? Until now, okay, we said he wasn't a tzaddik. His name it means a curse. But at least he's not behaving in a negative way. And now suddenly God says, as long as this wicked man is with you, I can't talk to you. So here is a fascinating idea. And this is as follows. You see, when Avram goes down to Mitzrayim, we know that the reason why all the events that happened in the lives of our forefathers are really an empowerment to the generations. As we, everything that we have today that we're able to accomplish is because of our fathers, because of what they've gone through. They were the trailblazers. They were the ones who, who paved the way. As the Ramban says, Nachmanari says, Maisa of is simin labanim, the deeds of the father... The, the, the actions of the father is a sign for the children, which means the empowerment of the children. When, the, when Avram went down to Egypt, this was an empowerment that the Jewish people are going to go down to Egypt. When Avram came out of Egypt, and he wasn't harmed, and he was able to make it through Egypt, that was the power for, for the Jewish people to be redeemed from Egypt. When Sarah was taken to Pharaoh's house, and she was protected, that was the protection for the Jewish people. Because imagine that the Egyptians had the Jewish people for slaves in a very, 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 very powerful grip over the Jewish people. How can it be that the Jewish women were not harmed, were not abused by the Egyptians? And yet, the Jewish people are a holy nation. The Egyptians did not violate the Jewish women. And the reason for that is, that's why our mother Sarah went over there, and she was saved from the lion's den, and that brought a spiritual protection to all the women of the Jewish people. They weren't affected by, by, by the Egyptians. So we came out to everything that happened. Avram came out with great wealth. The Jewish people marched out with the entire wealth of Egypt. So comes out according to that, that when Avram is coming out of Mitzrayim, as Avram is coming out of Egypt, that's Geula, that's redemption. So here's a very, very interesting thing. Lot contains within himself the neshama of King David, the neshama of Mashiach. But this neshama is so hidden inside of him, it's so covered. 
He himself has no idea what he's carrying in him. He's not conscious of it. He doesn't even know about it. That this, that this is the great, that he has this powerful soul. At all. We mentioned earlier, the higher the neshama is, the lower it falls. The king of the Jewish people is called, the, the king, the king of any, any king, is called the heart of the people. That means that King David is the heart of Israel. Moshiach, the ultimate king, is the most, the heart is where the inner, innermost of the human being. This is the, this is the highest, most powerful neshama. Because it is such a great soul, it is so buried, so deep, in the, in the, in the clutches of, of the klipa. Lot has no clue who he's carrying inside of him. Until when? Until there is redemption in the world. The moment there is redemption, and Avram Avinu is coming out of Egypt, and the sound of Mashiach is blowing, the chauffeur of Mashiach of that time, in a sense, it's the, it's the beginning of redemption. What does that energy do? It creates an energy in redemption. So souls that need to be redeemed start to move. So what happens inside Lot is that even though these neshamas, as we're going to see soon, Mashiach's neshama and King David's neshama are not ready for the extraction yet. They're not ready to join the Jewish people. It's only going to be Many years later, in the days of Rus and Boaz, many years later that these souls are going to... It still needs some kind of a channeling, some kind of a purification until that time. But it has now woken up. And the Nisham is beginning to give vibrations. That's why it's only at this junction that Lot starts sensing this power that he has inside of him. Okay, so he's now, this is what the Shem Shmuel says, the Sochet Shavarev is great. At this point, he starts sensing the soul of Mashiach that's inside of him, which he never knew he had until now. The Nishama is giving, oh, what happens? The Nishama wants to be freed. It's trying to get out of its entrapment. That's why it's interesting. Where does the Torah say that Lot, where does the, where is the, where, where does the Medrash point that Lot has a special soul? It says that when Lot came out of Egypt, this is great. It says when Lot came out of Egypt, the Medrash says, Omer Reptuvia, Reptuvia says, it says that Vagam Lot, also to Lot that goes with Avram, he had sheep, he had bakar, he had cattle, the Ohalim, and it had tents. So the sages say, the Medrash, what are the tents? These are the two tents, Rus, the Moabite, and and Nama the Amonis. These are the two tents that he has. Shnei Ohalem, two tents. Which means that even though we said earlier that Lot contains the souls, it's not credited to Lot until this point. Here it says that he has in his possession Son, Ubakar, and Ohalem. And who are the Ohalem? The Medrash says, these are, this is Rus and Mot. The answer is until now he didn't have them because he didn't even know about it. Now he knows about it. But what happens? Because he is not a rectified human being. So the moment these souls start waking up in him, he starts feeling royalty. He starts feeling empowerment. But he doesn't realize that this is not him. He thinks this is his power, he thinks this is his greatness. You see, the greatness of Lot until this time, the only merit he had, as a, the only virtue that he had, was that he was totally abnegated to his uncle. He was a simple chassid. He was a chassid, he was a dedicated follower of his uncle Avram. He knew that he's a nobody. 
But he was excited about his uncle Avram. He had a great uncle who was a great tzaddik. At this moment, thoughts of his own greatness started coming into his head. Now, it wasn't really his fault because he's carrying these powerful neshamas. It's similar to Korach when he fought against Moshe. Is the reason it says, Rashi says, what was his shtus that he was able to, chutzpah, that he was able to do that? Because he saw that he would have a grandson, Shmuel Anavi, who was in his genes, and it says Shmuel was as great as Moshe and Aaron together. So therefore, he's beginning to chalam zich dreams. He starts chalaming chalaymas. He starts dreaming of his power, of his kingship, of his greatness. That's why it says right over here, what, what does he do? He thinks, he says, Avram doesn't have any children. I'm going to be the heir. The first time he's suddenly drawing attention to himself, think he's going to want to inherit the land, Eretz Yisrael is going to be his. And he's right, it is going to be his, because the land of Israel is going to be Mashiach's, by the coming of Mashiach. But he doesn't realize, he thinks it's him as it is. At this moment, he ceases to be surrendered to Avram. He starts becoming a whole Metzias on his own, an entity onto his own. Rabbinim of Pshuscha, one of the great, great tzaddikim, says that you have to be very, very, very careful from Madrigas, from levels. When you give a neshama, from the Hasagas, he says, when you give a soul that's not ready, certain, certain levels of, of empowerment, and it's not ready for it, then that can serve that can work against the person instead of helping him out. So this is what happened. At this moment, Lot is getting this. So what happens is, here's the thing, when you take credit for something that's not yours, that's called thievery. It's a form of being a thief. Because spiritually he was a thief, so what happened to his shepherds? They also started stealing. See how it's all worked out together. It's all in line. So he's taking the land that's not his because in, in his own feeling, he's walking around with certain empowerment that's not really him. So it's at this moment that, that Avram senses, no, 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 that's no good. Right? So he tells him to separate. He tells Lot to separate. It's interesting. As long as Lot was walking with Avram Avinu, because he was attached to him, the holiness of Avram affected his nephew Lot. Avram, we know, was a very, very big tzaddik, and he was very, very holy. Holiness in terms of the most moral possible, the holiest of holiness completely above all materialism and the like. That's why it says that when Avram never realized, he was already 80 years, 70 years old, 75 years old, he never realized what a beautiful wife he has. And only when he came to the cross to Egypt, it says over there, he saw Sarah in the mirror, the reflection, and he was totally taken by her beauty. And he said, you see such a tzaddik like Avram. So Lot, when he was hanging with Avram, even though he on his own was not a tzaddik, he was influenced by him. But at this point, once... He separated from him and didn't have that same surrender. What happens to him? Where does he want to live as soon as he separates from Avram? He takes such a terrible fall. He goes to live in Sodom and Amorah, which was the most, it was like the Las Vegas of those days. Why is he going Dafka there? Because of the immorality of, of, of that of, over there. That's why he was drawn to go over there suddenly. Why? Because he separated from Avram. Now here's something really, really amazing. The Pasuk says that the two of them, both families, Avram and Lot, they have these large amount of sheep, and that there's not enough grazing fields for both of them. It says in the Pasuk, the land was not able to support to sit together, because they had a very great wealth, meaning they had so much cattle, there was so much, and the, the land could not support their, their, the, the needs of their grazing animals. It's interesting, the verse doesn't say, 
the, 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 the uh, mirror means the grazing of the land was not enough for them. There wasn't enough, um, there wasn't enough uh, what would you call it? There wasn't enough um, vegetation to support. It says, The earth could not, could not, could not um, support them both. So the B'nai Yisachar, the great din of Rebbe, asked the question, why does it say, why doesn't it say, to support them both? He says, but here is a very, very deep secret. What happened is like this. When Avram goes down to Mitzrayim, and Lot goes down to Mitzrayim, we said before, Avram comes out with great wealth. The wealth that Avram came out with was not only physical material wealth. Included in Avram, when Avram came out of Mitzrayim, is a great richness of spiritual energies. Avram schlepped out from the klipa, from the darkness, thousands of souls. It says, Sadiqim go to Gehenna, go to purgatory to pull souls out. Avram went down to Egypt to redeem souls. Very powerful. As Avram went down to Egypt, Lot also went down to Egypt with him. And guess what? Avram stuck his net in, pulled out a bunch of fish, great souls. Lot cast his net into Egypt and also pulled out. But Lot caught bigger fish than Avram did. And the reason for that is because it wasn't yet the time for the soul of Mashiach to be drawn into Avram, as we said earlier. So Lot, according to the Ibn Yisachar, it almost seems like the power of Mashiach was not really in Lot's neshama earlier. It actually, he actually picked it up in Egypt. Egypt was the place where there was the greatest deposit of fallen sparks. So the souls of Mashiach was actually extracted from Egypt. Lot has it. Now here's the thing. We would think that at this moment, as they're both coming back, and that's why this, the Torah describes, Ki rav. They both had great wealth. And it's interesting, it uses the word rav. What's rav? In Kabbalah it says that when the Jews went down in Egypt, altogether in the great primordial collapse, there were 288 sparks that collapsed. Original sparks. And then each spark gets broken into millions of small sparks. But originally it was 288 sparks. Reish peches. In Egypt was the largest deposit of sparks of holiness. How many? 202 out of the 288. 202. And that's what it means when the Jews went out of Egypt. It says, Vagam Erev Rav. Also a mixture of multitudes. Rav, because they extracted 202 sparks of holiness. Here it says the same thing. Kihoya Rechusham Rav. Because they initially took out the 200. They were the 202 sparks. I guess they were the originators. And then the Jewish people came to finish the job. But they really picked up that Rav. So therefore, what should have happened? The two of them should have gotten together. Lot and Avram. Avram should have drawn Lot's Mashiach Nasham and pulled it into the Jewish people. That's the meaning of, we said earlier that Avram, what did we say? Avram's job is to seek converts. When Avram seeks converts, what is it called? It says that it's, he brings them tachas kanfei hashchina, under the wings of the shechina. Which means when Hashem is liberated, where does it join? It joins the shechina, which is the mother of all souls. Avram is now the conduit to bring the shamas to the Shekhinah. And you hear what the B'nai Yisachar says in his Sefer Agar Dekala, this, in this parsha. He says, aretz means, Aretz is referring to the Shekhinah. Shekhinah is called also Aretz, land. Because it's the lowest of the divine levels. We mentioned it many times, that Shekhinah is called earth. The Shekhinah was not able to lift this neshama of King David and Mashiach. 
That's why it doesn't say, we asked earlier, why doesn't it say that there wasn't enough grazing? That's not the meaning. It means that this neshama could not yet be lifted. The loinosa, oisama, aretz, the shechina was not able to lift up this neshama. Why should it have lifted it up? Why should he have lifted it up? There was such great wealth in Lot. It would have been nice had he extracted that neshama and brought it to its unification with him. It didn't happen. It didn't happen at that amazing moment. For the two of them to sit together. Didn't happen. So what happens instead? I'm going to conclude there's so much more to say on this, but we're going to have to, it's getting, we're, getting, we're running out of time. That's why the Pasuk says, the next Pasuk says, what happens was, riv, there was a quarrel. There was a quarrel that broke out between Lot and, and um, between Lot and, um, and, and Avram's shepherds. So what's this quarrel? And here's an amazing thing. Quarrel, riv, means a quarrel. Riv is a certain very, 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 very powerful negative force that brings quarrels. Okay? And what it tries to do is to bring, to stop the coming of Mashiach. That's its, that's its inyan. The idea of riv. In Kabbalah it speaks about that there is a klipa called riv. And it tries to get in the way. And the reason for that is, riv is gematria, ratio de bays is 212. Double that, 212 is 424. Which is the exact gematria of Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben David is the gematria, the numeric value of 424. It says... I don't know where it says, but it does say in, 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 that on Mashiach's forehead is engraved the name of Hashem. Kadat. Kadat is 424. It's Gematria Mashiach ben David. It's one of Hashem's names. It's the power of redemption. We say it in Davening. We say, Asay Laman da Secha. Anybody remember that? We say, Asay Laman this, Asay Laman that. Aseleman Dasechad is the same. Chav Dalid Taf, four hundred twenty-four. Mashiach Ben David, engraved on Mashiach's forehead. Riv tries to break that in half and get in the way and not allow Mashiach Ben David, and it creates a quarrel and it creates a fight to stop Mashiach from coming. And here's a very interesting thing, an amazing thing. When to show you how it gets in the way when Mashiach has to come, Yehuda, the son of Yaakov gives birth, Yehuda is the father, again, he's the, he is from, Lot is from bringing Mashiach Neshama from this side, but from the Jewish lineage, who is it going through? Yehuda, it's going through Yaakov, and then Yehuda is the king of, Davidic kings, comes from Yehuda. Who would have been Mashiach, the first and oldest son of Yehuda? His name was Er. Since he's the Bechor of Yehuda, he would have been Mashiach. What does it say right at the beginning when it says, what happened to Er? Vayehi er, and er was ra b'enei Hashem. He was bad in the eyes of God. What did he do? Now, also related, you see. First of all, ra b'enei Hashem is riv. Rosh Tevis, ra b'enei Hashem, reish beiz yud, riv. You see, whenever there's a Mashiach moment, riv gets in. A quarrel gets in to try to stop it. So ra b'enei Hashem is Rosh Tevis, the acronym riv. Stopping. 
And that's why what, what happens? What's the rabbi and Hashem? What did he do? He wasted his seed. He did not want his wife to become pregnant. Stopping the birth of Mashiach. Riv gets in the way. So here the Gemara tells us something really, really interesting. Because I find this so fascinating. It says, Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, one of the sages of the Mishnah, one of the great sages of the Mishnah, Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, once went um, to, um, to, he went to a, to a resort to relax. He was the great sage. And the sages say that he indulged a little too much in fine wines and gourmet foods and delicious fine spas. He was a little bit too much indulgent for the sage that he was. When he came back and he read in the Torah, so he was, he, they, they called him up, they gave him an aliyah, and he was supposed to read in the Torah the words, HaChodesh HaZelochem. HaChodesh HaZelochem means, this is the new month, which is the month, which is the wor- opening words of the redemption of Egypt. HaChodesh HaZelochem. He read it wor- wrong. Instead of reading HaChodesh HaZelochem, he changed the words, the sages say, and he read, HaCharash Haya Libam. Their hearts became clogged. Instead of being open for the new light, which is the light of Mashiach, the light of redemption, his heart was clogged. Now watch this. If you watch letters were exchanged, instead of Hachodesh, the Dalid of Chodesh became a Reish, Reish. instead of the Hazed, the Zion, became a Yud, and instead of Li Lochem, Machaf, became a Bez. So what was inserted was a resh, a yud, and a bez. Riv gets in. Into where? Now watch this. Chodesh hazelochem is the exact gematria. Mashiach ben David. Kadat. We said earlier. 424. In these words, Chodesh hazelochem is the power of Mashiach. Because that's the beginning of the redemption of the Jewish people. Which the beginning is connected to the very end. Who comes in right over here to stop that? Riv. We have this powerful moment, Avram and Lot, the Nisham of Mashiach was extracted. It's so there, they're ready to come together. There was a riv that gets in the way, and it spoils what's happening over here. Basically what we're beginning to see over here is that there's so much more to the story that we have no clue what we're reading. There are such amazing things that are happening. And let me just conclude, it really would have gone for another half an hour, but I'm going to conclude right now with just one more thing. When the four kings come to fight... Um, the four kings come to fight um, uh, the, the, the five, it comes, it almost looks so clearly in the Torah that they're coming just for Lot. It says they take the possessions of, and they take Lot. Why do they take Lot? Now we understand why. The four kings represent the four empires, the four Goliaths, the four, the four exiles that the Jewish people are going to go through. It's a little snapshot of all of history. We, the Jewish people, have gone through four empires. Each one has one objective. To stop the coming of Mashiach. To interfere with the implementation of God's kingdom. And that's why in the fourth, first time the four kings come, they go right for Lot. Bullseye. Because they know that's where... Again, they don't know, but their, their, their angel up there knows. So they're going to take Lot immediately. What happens? Avram sees Kenuj Ba'achiv, that his brother is entrapped. Why is he his brother? It says that in, on the chariot, why didn't he call him his nephew? On the chariot of God there are four legs. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and David is the fourth. So they're brothers, because it's one of the four legs. Avram sees that the fourth leg of the Markava has been taken into captivity. 
So that's why we find that Amram risks his life and he takes 318 people to pursue. Why 318? You need to activate Mashiach. 318 is Shin Yod Ches. Those are the three letters of Mashiach. Don't you see? Three letters of Mashiach. Where's the Mem? Avram has a Mem inside of him. Remember we spoke last week about an open Mem and a closed Mem? That's the power of the Giyula. Avram connects his Mem to the 318. You have Mashiach. And Avram is going to redeem the neshama of Mashiach, to redeem Lot from the exile. Very interesting. 318 together with that. It's interesting. Avram minus the Mem, since he gave his Mem into this war, minus the Mem. Avram equals 248, minus Mem. It's 208, is the exact gematria of Yitzchak. So it's interesting. As Avram joins his Mem with Mashiach, what's left, what comes next out of Avram is Yitzchak, which is really an interesting idea. But what you have really out of all of this is that what we see is, and the Medrash actually says that just like the four kings come at the beginning of the time, they will come again right at the coming of Mashiach. So all the hostility you see around Israel right now and everything happening seems to be the formation of this, of this, of this, of this prophecy, of this great. But I do want to say one thing, and this is very, very important. And that is that I, lately I've been hearing, and people are very, very caught up, and people don't know what to, what to accept and what not to accept. A lot of people have become very excited about uh, certain prophecies that are being said by, by children who had near-death experiences and they're talking about great devastation that are going to come to the world and wars of Gog and Magog and, the, and, uh, and there are rabbis that are promoting uh, uh, words about things that are very, very frightening and very scary and threatening people that if you don't start keeping mitzvot then who knows, you're not going to survive the coming of Mashiach and I would like to say that that's not what the war of Gog and Magog is all about. It's not in any way harmful for the Jewish people. It's not meant to be harmful for the Jewish people. The Jewish people will not be harmed. And this whole idea of threatening people is not the way that Hashem wants us. We draw people close with love. With, with an, with a, and, and, and it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that when we're looking for prophecy, it says we go to tzaddikim. It doesn't say that we go to children who have near-death experiences. Not that I question, not that I have a problem with it. It's not, it's good that people have things, but to take and things, and because I heard rabbis say that this boy said that a million Jews are going to chas v'shalom die and perish. I mean, chas v'shalom, how can things like that be said? I did hear, what I do want to say is I did hear from the Lubavitcher Rebbe yesterday a clip. It was so powerful, where he says very clearly, that the war of Gog and Magog has nothing to do with the Jewish people. It's something for nations, and it's not, it does not influence the Jewish people, and the Jewish people don't have what to be scared from something like that. So it's just very important to understand and to know that, that even though we're talking about wars and stuff like that, the Jewish people have a very bright future to look forward to, and good people in the nations in the world are also have a bright future, and good things are happening, and it's a little tense, and until things happen, we hope that it should all be bechesed the but scare tactics and saying all kinds of things that cause people to panic is not what God wants us to do. And we always know the rule, think positive will be positive. When we have positive thoughts and say good things, that will bring only blessing and only goodness when we merit the coming of Mashiach and may it happen now, now, and now. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Hey. Mm-hmm. 